0: Two and a half weeks into the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it's safe to say it hasn't gone as Vladimir Putin planned it would. The Russian invasion started with cruise missile attacks on the 24th of February, designed to blind the Ukrainian Air Force by taking out ground-based early warning radars and also cratering runways and taxiways at its major air bases. Those strikes also hit several Ukrainian long-range S-300P to air missile batteries. At that point, the expectation was that the Russian Aerospace Forces, which goes by the abbreviation VKS, which in Russian is Vostoshno-Komishiskiya Sili, would have mounted large-scale strike operations to destroy the balance of the Ukrainian Air Force. The plan was to quickly flow from the north and the east through the separatist regions, joining up with separatist forces, basically splitting the country in half along the Dnieper River. At the same time, the Russian military would create a land bridge along the southern coastline, linking up with Russian forces in the Transnistria region, which is the eastern edge of Moldova, and that would cut off any supply routes coming from the Black Sea. Putin's expectation was by this point the government in Kiev would collapse and Zelensky and his ministers would go into exile, and the western half all the way to Lviv would surrender or be easy pickings as they got pushed out by the Russians. Putin would put in a puppet government, not unlike Belarus, and it would be mission accomplished. So far, that's not what's happened. A look at a battle map from the last 24 hours shows Russian forces are stalled well short of the river that they'd hoped to use to split the country in two. They have completely taken the separatist regions and encircled Mariupol And have laid siege to that city. It is a humanitarian disaster. Footage of extreme devastation has hit the airwaves worldwide, particularly an attack on a maternity hospital, and reports have emerged of food shortages and water shortages that are causing locals to fight over the limited resources available. This is a bad situation that's only going to get worse. You can see on this map the Russians have, in essence, created the land bridge across the south that they intended, and they have encircled the capital. And in the messaging that the Ukrainian government put out most recently, there are no signs that they intend to surrender. So this red box indicates the orders of battle. The Russians have at least 115 battalion tactical groups in country. So each one of these battalion tactical groups has approximately 600 officers and soldiers, and about a quarter to a third of those are infantry equipped with vehicles, including roughly 10 tanks and 40 infantry fighting vehicles. The Russian army only has 170 total battalion tactical groups. So basically they have 65% of their existing force in Ukraine right now. Also listed are the armies of the separatist groups, the DPR and the LPR. They account for a total of 34,000 forces, including a Special Operations Regiment. Meanwhile, the Ukrainian military has six tank brigades, 15 mechanical brigades, six motor brigades, two mountain brigades, and six air assault brigades. Their strength, 209,000 army, 102,000 paramilitary, and 900,000 reserves. That's going to be the difference as we go forward here. So why did the Russian military stall when everybody from Putin on down figured they would take Ukraine in a couple of days? Well, let's start the discussion by noting that the Russian defense budget is only $60 billion a year compared to the U.S. defense budget, which is somewhere around $725 billion a year. And on Putin's watch, he's focused most of that $60 billion on the acquisition and procurement of next-generation technologies that he needs to sell to foreign militaries to get them fully funded, instead of the operational accounts that keep his military ready. So let's break down what we're seeing between the air war and the ground war, starting with the air war. In a recent episode of the Sandbox YouTube channel, my good friend Alex Hollings points out an article called The Mysterious Case of the Missing Russian Air Force written by Justin Bronk. Now, in the early part of this article, Justin points out that the VKS did not take advantage of the opening provided by that initial salvo of cruise and ballistic missiles. In fact, he states that the roughly 300 modern combat aircraft which the VKS had positioned within easy range of the main contact zones in northern, eastern, and southern Ukraine appeared to have largely stayed on the ground throughout the first days of fighting. That allowed the Ukrainians to fly defensive counter air sorties like those that gave rise to the legend of the Ghost of Kyiv, the Ace in a Day, and other gains that kept the Russian Air Force from having air superiority over the skies of Ukraine. Justin also points out the almost total lack of Russian offensive counter air sweeps which were coupled with very poor coordination between Russian ground forces and their own medium to short-range air defense systems. This has allowed the surviving Ukrainian Bayraktar TB2 armed UAVs to operate with considerable effectiveness in some areas, inflicting significant losses on Russian vehicle columns. So in this article, Justin breaks down their deficiencies in air power in four different ways. The first that resonates with me quite a bit is because of a lack of flat hour funding, which goes back to Putin's priorities, their pilots are only getting about eight flight hours a month. That is not even close to the amount of time that aircrew need to stay tactically proficient. Eight hours a month is like one sortie a week. That's barely enough time to stay proficient in the basics of taking off and landing and instrument flying and those kinds of things. You need like four times that amount. 30 to 35 hours a month to stay tactically proficient. Number two is their lack of precision guided munitions capability. So in this early part of the war, their lack of precision guided munitions capability has prevented them from doing any meaningful close air support. And so their ground units have kind of been fending for themselves. Also, Justin points out the Russians don't have that many PGMs in the inventory because of how extensively they were used in Syria in recent years. And then lastly, he attributes the VKS's poor showing so far to, let's call it, red-on-red red concerns. The VKS are not confident in their capacity to safely deconflict large-scale sorties with the activity of Russian ground-based SAMs operated by the ground forces. Running joint engagement zones in which combat aircraft and SAM systems can engage enemy forces simultaneously in a complex environment without friendly fire incidents is hard. It requires close inter-service cooperation, excellent communications, and regular training to master. So regular training in running joint engagement zones takes more than eight flight hours a month, for starters. Now a note of caution going forward, and we can use Syria as an analog for this eventuality. While we're saying they have limited precision guided munitions capability and inventory, as they get frustrated with their lack of progress, they can turn to indiscriminate dumb bombing, again as they did in Syria and this will lead to more collateral damage and more civilian casualties. Now on the ground war side of things, the evidence of problems that have emerged is even worse. By the second day of the war, we saw evidence that they hadn't fully thought out their logistics plan as convoys were stuck out of gas and in some cases lost. They didn't have accurate maps and the locals were removing road signs to confuse them even more. And as the Russian army met the first line of Ukrainian resistance, logistics situation got even worse. The Ukrainian forces took some Russian POWs and those Russian troops revealed that they weren't eating very well. Their MREs were upwards of 20 years old. And yes, I know MREs do not have an expiration date, but the scientific understanding of nutrition, including probiotics, has come a long way since the turn of the century. In fact, the United States military has a command at Natick which is just west of Boston, dedicated to the science of feeding our troops. And it includes not only the science of nutrition, but also the morale factor of having a hot meal and flavors that our young troops might recognize, like buffalo chicken or sriracha, things that didn't really exist 20 years ago. The other word emerging is the troops were lied to about the invasion. They marshaled on the border being told it was an exercise And as they crossed the border, they were not told, and now we're beginning the invasion. In some cases, these troops had no idea that they were actually in Ukraine. So if you have to lie to your troops to get them to step off the line of departure, you know you're on the wrong side of the war. Intel sources have also revealed that their officers have not been paid for several months. That's kind of a basic thing. Pay those doing the job, especially those in leadership positions. And not getting paid is not good for morale, regardless of what your rank is. Also emerging is the fact that they're using conscripts in addition to their regular troops. Now when's the last time you heard the word conscripts? I think it was the movie Braveheart. Not to mention they've pressed Syrian nationals into service. So what this means is there's already grave concern at the highest levels with how this invasion has gone in the last two and a half weeks. The other thing we're seeing with the ground forces is they're not doing the basics. And this is evident with how they're managing their convoys. So staying parked on prepared surfaces for long periods of time makes you a target. And we've seen this in some of the drone footage that's come out where either indirect or direct fire takes out the lead and the trail element and sends everyone else scurrying. This is ground army 101 kinds of things that they're getting fundamentally wrong. And all this is gonna get worse for them as this war gets more and more asymmetric, and the Ukrainians go from conventional fighting to more and more of an insurgency and a resistance. We're also seeing signs of Putin's desperation in other ways. In the last 24 hours, he started conducting purges of his military generals and intelligence personnel, including arrests of Federal Security Service officers. So far, Putin has replaced at least eight generals, quote, due to their failures in Ukraine, end quote. He also placed one of his spy chiefs under house arrest in a sign that he's seeking to blame the security services for the stalled invasion of ukraine sergey beseda the head of the federal security services foreign intelligence branch was arrested with his deputy anatoly Bulyuk so this is old school russian thuggery it feels very stalin era in terms of how the leader reacts to pressure and chaos so look for more of this as the russian army gets mired deeper and deeper with this invasion Even a guy like Lavrov isn't safe at times like this. The other thing we need to be guarded about at this point is Putin turning to chemical weapons, as he did in Syria, and look for associated false flag operations to justify the use of those weapons. Another trend in a uniquely Russian way to fight a war when you get bogged down, recently Russian forces kidnapped the mayor of Melitopol. So the playbook here is they remove non-compliant government officials by kidnapping or other means, And they use bribes or extortion to replace them with a puppet regime. In the process, all of those with viable careers, doctors, lawyers, educators, artists, flee, and all that's left are citizens who are putty in the hands of the Russians. This is what we saw in the separatist regions some years ago. So, so far, as we see in this footage here, the locals are not complying, and they're resisting with whatever means they have, including just basic civil disobedience. So what can the West do to support the effort? Well, we can start by giving them some of what they're asking for. Recently, the former Ukrainian president, Petro Poroshenko, outlined the needs as anti-aircraft weapons, anti-tank weapons, and ammunition. So those seem like some basic needs that we can certainly provide. The other thing that President Zelensky has repeatedly asked for is for NATO to close the skies. Now, as Hoser and I put out a few weeks ago in our no-fly zone episode, that remains inherently provocative. Further, it doesn't really look like they need one right now. In fact, if we comply with President Poroshenko's wish list, particularly with any aircraft weapons, we can build on the de facto no-fly zone that already exists. So the U.S. has said we're going to provide Patriot batteries in addition to the stingers and javelins that we've already sent. And that will be very effective in creating a de facto no-fly zone. The other issue that's been bandied about is whether or not NATO should give Polish MiG-29s to the Ukrainians and then backfill the Poles with F-16s. So on that issue, Admiral John Kirby recently said from the Pentagon press room that the administration was concerned that Putin would view that as escalatory in nature. So to that, I'm going to say based on Putin's actions here, We need to stop worrying about what he views as escalatory or not at this point. We, meaning United States and our NATO partners, need to do what's necessary to support the cause of freedom worldwide while avoiding World War III insofar as it can be avoided. So to this point, Western support has, by and large, been effective. Check this out. (inaudible)
1: <inaudible> so,
0: if we up our support along the lines of what the Ukrainian government has asked for, those toys, that'll go a long way towards continuing to keep Putin from taking Ukraine altogether. And as I've said on various podcasts and radio stations in recent days, The West needs to conceive of this as our fight. We are only one or maybe two degrees removed from what's going on in Ukraine. And if you don't believe that, I need you to watch this video that the Ukrainians put out yesterday. Let's
1: see. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right, that's going to do it for this episode. If you're a first time viewer, please ring the bell and become a subscriber so you don't miss anything. Give me the likes and comment. Check the links below for merch, including where you can get this t-shirt, which you all know is a variation of my YouTube channel logo. Check the link on where to purchase this t-shirt in the episode description. All profits go to the Return Alive Foundation, which provides training and equipment to Ukrainian military forces. And to date, we've raised about $4,000 for the Return Alive Foundation. So I thank those who've supported the efforts already. If you'd like to help support the channel, please consider using the super thanks, the heart icon below, or become a patron at patreon.com slash In the meantime, I look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: terror on Ukraine, sparking calls to protect America against the other major threat, communist China. Here's Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton this week on Fox.
0: Hey, we're trying to do now on an emergency basis in the last 15 days in Ukraine, like providing them weapons, we should be doing now with Taiwan. Everything we're doing to break away from the Russian economy, to put a distance between our economy and theirs, to get our companies out of Russia, we should be doing in China again right now. We-
1: And joining me right now in his first interview since returning from Taiwan and Singapore, where in Taiwan he received a very warm welcome with billboards and the Medal of Honor celebration, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Secretary, thanks very much for being here.
2: Maria, it's great to be with you this morning.
1: So before we move on to your trip in Taiwan, I want to get your take and what you heard on the ground, your reaction to the breaking news this morning An American journalist, a photographer, uh, has worked at the New York Times, has been killed uh, in the fire that has continued throughout the night. Secretary.
2: Well, I'm obviously sad for that journalist, uh, the journalist family. But this is the kind of thing that happens when you fail at the core mission set of American security, which is to deter the bad guys from continued aggression. Uh, the Biden administration has been behind since last summer. We think about this now as being less than three weeks old. But, of course, we've known for months that Vladimir Putin was building forces and building capability. We should have been helping the Ukrainians build forces and capability. And we were too late, too slow, too small at every turn. We still are. There's still enormous hesitation, Maria. You know, the last thought here is if everyone everyone in the Biden administration talks about it, if we do anything, there'll be provocation. My observation, I think the world can see, is that what's provocative is the weakness. What's provocative is being behind. What's provocative is letting Vladimir Putin drive the agenda and the mission and the timeline. And you have the Ukrainian people who want to stand up to defend their homeland, and we've let Vladimir Putin walk all over them with no response that was serious, timely, and strong to give them the tools the Ukrainians needed to do that mission set.
1: But but why? I mean, why isn't the response better? Why isn't it more immediate? These are terrorists that are terrorizing a a part of the world. Why are we talking about limitations to the support that we can offer?
2: It's pretty unexplainable in some sense, Maria. But if you go back to the uh, the strategy that the Biden team laid out when they first came into office, indeed, the things that he campaigned on. Right, the top priority for them was climate change. They are prepared to work with Xi Jinping, with Vladimir Putin, with all comers, if they could get somebody to shut down a coal-fired power plant. Vladimir Putin scoffs at that. He understands hard power. He understands real strength. And this administration has talked about things that are uh, that are ephemeral and temporary and weak. Uh, Remember when they shut down an American pipeline, the colonial pipeline in the southeast part of the United States, you couldn't get gas for a few days. The response from this administration to Vladimir Putin when Biden met with him was, don't do that again. Uh, That's that's not a serious response that Putin would respect. And you can see he's ratcheting up the pressure. He's continuing his advance in Ukraine. His objectives haven't changed. And he's going to continue this assault this march until he meets a United States that's prepared to help the Ukrainian people defend themselves in a serious way
1: let me move on to your trip to taiwan and singapore clearly secretary so many people are watching the ccp and uh its next move given uh its uh, past comments about uh taking back or reuniting with taiwan what did you hear on the ground
2: so i've talked about the fact that uh, ukraine is an absolute tragedy we've been behind what I'm really worried about is cascading series of crises overnight. There were Iranian missiles fired near a US consulate in Erbil, Iraq. Uh, when I was in Taiwan, I saw the Taiwanese worried about the same thing, a series of cascading crises that, uh, that affects them and their lives. Um, I, I made the statement when I was in Taiwan that we ought to do the simple thing of recognizing their independence. Everybody knows that they've never been part of mainland China, communist China. They don't want to be. So we ought to be doing the things that we failed to do last summer for the Ukrainian people we ought to be doing for Taiwan. The Trump administration did that. We we worked diligently to provide uh, weapons systems to the Taiwanese. The Taiwanese are getting ready. They are prepared to do the hard work themselves. But they're going to need support from the United States, from Japan, from South Korea. Uh, these Southeast Asian countries, I traveled to Singapore too. These Southeast Asian countries are all worried. They know Xi Jinping is watching. He's watching America abandon Afghanistan in such a... De- the disastrous way. He's watching the United States get rolled by Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping is watching the things that America is prepared to do to help our friends and allies around the world. If we if we don't help the Taiwanese people prepare to defend themselves, this will only embolden Xi Jinping.
1: Let, let me uh, let, let me run this soundbite from Marco Rubio this week in uh, the hearing in the Senate. Got to get your take on this part of this conflict. Watch this.
0: Does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons?
1: Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities, which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. Secretary, if we knew that Ukraine had these biological facilities before Putin went in there, why didn't we move to protect them? Now we're worried about the potential for chemical, biological weapons, as well as these taunts on nuclear weapons as well.
2: We remember the history of Ukraine, uh, there were nuclear weapons there. They were they were largely uh, dismantled and moved in the 1990s. Uh, But there's a a long legacy of the Soviet Union that still remained inside of Ukraine. We've all watched these nuclear power plants come under attack by the Russians as well. Uh, We should not underestimate Vladimir Putin's determination. So whether it's uh, legacy chemical uh, or excuse me, legacy biological systems inside of Ukraine, whether it's the nuclear power plants themselves, uh, Vladimir Putin has intent on succeeding. And you you have to get back the capstone level of deterrence that, that I worked on so hard for four years to convince Vladimir Putin, Chairman Kim, the Ayatollah, that we were gonna put pressure on the regimes and that the costs of these kinds of malign activities would, would far exceed any possible benefit for them. When you when you lose that, what what, uh, what uh, Under Secretary Newland said this week about biological weapons or biological uh, systems inside of Ukraine, those are the kind of things that put the world at risk, not just the Ukrainian people. This is serious stuff and it requires more seriousness than this administration has shown. They sent the vice president, to the region this week. And she has only shown confusion and weakness. I, th- I promise you Putin's watching those video clips too. This is not good for the Ukrainian people. It's not good for NATO and Europe, and it is not good for the United States of America either.
1: Secretary, what do you advise the administration to do right now?
2: give Ukraine every tool that they need to defend themselves. They've shown their willingness to do it. They've shown their capability of doing it. And they have shown that they know how to execute against the advance of the Russian military. It is a tough slot. The Russians are determined, they're big, they're powerful, but we need to make sure that Vladimir Putin knows that the cost for this, the cost in Ukraine in terms of bloodshed for his own military and the cost back home inside of Russia uh, and to the Russian people, will far exceed the costs that are imposed on the West, whether that's yeah. on NATO, Europe, or on the United States of America. We need to make sure that the balance is right. And so then in the end, Putin has to concede and make a set of decisions that are vastly different than the ones he's been making these past months.
1: And, and Secretary, final question here on your trip. Do you expect the CCP to try to invade uh, Taiwan after what it has witnessed throughout this debacle in Ukraine?
2: Xi Jinping is determined, he's made clear his intention to, quote, reunify, end of quote, with Taiwan. What tools, what tactics, what timing is difficult to know. I only know this. It is not predetermined that he'll be successful at that. He'll be successful at that if we're scared, if we think that taking action to support the Taiwanese people is provocative to Xi Jinping. It's not. This is an independent nation. They know it. The world knows it. We ought to behave as such, and we ought to provide them the tools they need. To, ma- to maintain their yeah. own sovereignty. This is important, Maria, for the whole world and for the central idea that has conduct- that has allowed Western civilization to advance in the way it has these last years. We can't walk yeah. away from that.
1: And, and you- Ukraine was an independent and is an independent nation as well, Secretary. It's great to have you this morning. Thanks very much for your important Maria. insights and thank for you, your Maria. travel. Thanks for having me we on. appreciate it. All right, thank you, yes, Mike ma- Pompeo.
3: Well, hello, everybody. A, a good Monday to you. I hope you had a good weekend. It's always a fascinating. Well, I don't like that word. No. It's always a deep question in life happiness and the suffering of others. How much should one allow it to affect one's happiness? Because if you allow it to affect it to the extent that it would be required given the suffering, you would be in a a constant state of depression. So we have to mediate between empathy and even anger on the one hand and the need to live a fulfilling personal life on the other. The chapter in my book on happiness. Happiness is a serious problem, that, which is laid out in, t- in two forms. One is obstacles to happiness and the other is solutions. And I believe that one obstacle is the suffering of others. I hope it is an obstacle for people. It means that you have some degree of empathy. But if you completely empathize, you would go out of your mind. So when I say I hope you had a good weekend, I take into account the onslaught against civilians in Ukraine. Preparing my column for tomorrow, which I submit on Mondays and write on the weekends, I I noted something I have noted here well, well before this invasion what Russia did to Ukrainians in the 1930s. It's called the Holodomor. It's Ukrainian for murder or extinction by starvation. Mor is extinction or murder, and holo is starvation. I believe that's the way, or holodo dolomore not uh, not something that is not something that is well known to most people so that was uh, 90 years ago not interesting exactly 90 years ago 1932 and and now there's a repeat of the russian massive persecution, increasing death, destruction of cities, at least among Russian rulers, I don't know among Russians themselves, there must be some real hatred of Ukrainians. It's in the listing of great hatreds, like Europeans of Jews, you'd have to really put up up there Russians of Ukrainians. And the reason you never hear about this is because people have no knowledge of history. One graduates in American high school as an ignoramus, and then it gets worse in college because you remain an ignoramus, but you think you know something. That's really bad. If you know you know nothing, there's hope. If you think you know something and you don't, there's little hope I was with a i was having lunch yesterday at a diner slash restaurant near my home and it, it it's almost one hundred percent certain that someone will say hello, come over ask for a selfie while I'm I'm dining, which by the way, I have no problem with I don't think I should have any attitude other than gratitude for the fact that people would like to say something or take a selfie with me I, I, I am not that uh, arrogant I find public figures who resent their being public uh I, don't, I find that a bit odd. They should thank God that people want to take a selfie with them. Now it can get too much. Everything can get too much. Anyway, he came over, and he said, "I just, I just want to know your advice." Obviously, someone who really respected my my opinion. And he said, "Well, you know, is it, isn't Ukraine wasn't Ukraine developing bioweapons? And it's it's so interesting that. There is a segment of the conservative world that while not supporting Putin tries to find some reasoning in what he did. It's like there there are so many things going on here. There is utter and total mistrust of the New York Times world. I use that as the statement from Washington Post, LA Times, uh, every major newspaper essentially, major big city newspaper, CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, NPR, PBS, it's, it's just a, a shorthand for all of that. So the assumption uh, by some is that if if they say it's raining, it's not really raining. And frankly, I understand that. The The amount of lying in the last five years—from the Russia hoax, the the Russia collusion with with the Trump campaign hoax—to the suppression of all information regarding masks, the suppression of all information with regard to ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, with zinc—I mean, there there is there was reason beforehand to mistrust the media, but now it's overwhelming. So it's hard for some people to believe that this is a clear black and white issue. It is pure evil, the invasion of Ukraine. So they try other things. So it'll be the, the bioweapons lab, or it will be, well, it, it's NATO, NATO. Did they starve the Ukrainians in '32 because of NATO? The man has said over and over, this man named Putin, that he resents that Ukraine is even a nation. It's a made-up nation in his view. By the way, it's an interesting thing. Even if it is a made-up nation, which it's not, okay. but even if it is a made-up nation, So what? Nations have beginnings. If it's a made-up nation, it's still a nation. Every nation is essentially a made-up nation. They weren't always there. Russia started at some point. Is Russia a made-up nation? The Palestinians are a made-up nation. There was no such thing as a Palestinian nation. Prior to 1948, it was Arabs living in Palestine. Simple as that. But they developed a national identity over the decades, and that that, that it is what it is. People people have new identities. Their identity is, is even odder because they don't speak their own language. They don't speak Palestinian. They speak Arabic. But the Ukrainians do speak Ukrainian. That's what that's what he resents. But there are people who are trying to find uh, any sort of reasons not to justify but to explain under the uh, which comes perilously close to justify. To understand everything is to forgive everything. Great French phrase. It's not true, but it, it is the human condition in a nutshell. I have changed my mind on one issue. I do believe that uh, jets should be su- supplied by Poland uh, to uh, uh, to the Ukrainians. We supply, that is, we in NATO, we the United States supply massive armaments to Ukraine. W- why not jets? If they're flown by Ukrainians, it's the same as supplying anti tank missiles that are shot by Ukrainians. The Dennis Prager Show.